You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available wherever you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever you like. Or you can ask your smart device like Google Home or Amazon Alexa or Siri. Play podcast Locked On Vikings. Today, unfortunately, we have to discuss uh, for today's and tomorrow's episode the 27-10 loss at Levi Stadium to the San Francisco 49ers ending the Vikings season on a familiar and bitter note. The 2019 season will end with a divisional round playoff loss, and there's a lot to get to because of the fallout of this, and I kind of actually want to start with that because it's a little bit of, you know, the news of the hour. Kevin Stefanski was hired away as the Cleveland Browns head coach. George Edwards did not want to renew his contract. He wants to go somewhere where he can call the plays, so the Vikings will also have a new offensive and defensive coordinator in 2019, and the Packers won their game as well, so really a nightmare weekend for the Vikings and their fans. And before we get into the nitty-gritty of all of that, real quick, I just want to remind everybody, or tell you if you didn't make it that far into the show last time, that this show will keep uploading four episodes a week throughout the entire off-season. This will not skip a beat because there's nothing going on. We will come up with all kinds of content. I will talk about what that content is at the end of the show, so if you're interested in that, or if you're not planning on listening to Vikings podcasts through the off-season, I encourage you to go listen to that and, and at least let me plead my case. So let's start with some of the more recent news first, and then we will work our way back to the actual game itself. George Edwards is not going to return as defensive coordinator of the Vikings. The rumor was that he wanted to call defensive plays, and he'll never get that opportunity under Mike Zimmer, which is understandable, right? He's the the defensive guru. And so instead of signing a new contract, his contract expired at the end of the season, and instead of signing a new one, he's going to go somewhere where he can call the plays. That might be Cleveland with Kevin Stefanski. That is a a match that makes a, a lot of sense. But wherever he goes, I'm sure he'll be kind of a a hot-ticket defensive coordinator. I'm actually surprised that he hadn't gotten more head coaching buzz as somebody, you know, if somebody wanted to kind of copy-paste the Zimmer defense, especially in more of its prime years, like after 2017, I was kind of surprised that somebody didn't want to take him and say, you know, run the Zimmer defense and we'll have it, you know, some new hot offensive coordinator that needed their good DC. And, And I think somebody might take that. I could see Stefanski doing it. I could see Matt Rule doing it in Carolina. I'm actually kind of interested to see where he goes. I mean, he spent six years here being basically like an underling and and really had outstayed not his welcome but had outstayed you know the point where it was helpful to his career and for that you know my my hat's off to him and I thank him for everything he did and I I hope he finds success wherever he goes next because lord knows it's time but I've seen a lot of stuff about George Edwards and like you know oh what did he even do here right he didn't call the plays what did he even do he was just like a yes man a big rubber stamp and I I don't think he was a rubber stamp Here's what I think George Edwards was good at. He's an implementer. He's an installer. He is somebody that can make sure that Zimmer's ideas and strategies and the things that made him famous, the things that made him a head coach, the things that made him good in Cincinnati and good in in Dallas and all that time, all of that stuff that he knows and understands about defensive scheme and the stuff we've been talking about for the last two years on this show, that is something that needs to be executed properly or it falls apart, right? And I think George Edwards was one of the reasons that it was so often 
executed properly. He was somebody that could take these guys and train them up and, you know, also manage the staff of Jerry Gray and Andre Patterson and stuff and those guys doing their job and being managed properly. Part of that is on George Edwards. Part of that is to his credit. And so I think whoever gets George Edwards and uh, I might end up going on, you know, whatever locked on podcast that is, but whoever go gets George Edwards is going to get somebody who can develop talent. I, I think George Edwards is phenomenal at developing talent, and that is is really going to be his biggest draw, and that's going to be what the Vikings miss the most. So, replacements real quick, and, and of course we'll talk more about the replacement when it's announced. My guess is that it's going to be pretty quick, because my guess is that it comes from within. The Vikings have three position coaches on the defensive side. Jerry Gray does the defensive backs, Adam Zimmer, son of Mike, does the linebackers, and Andre Patterson does the defensive line. Andre Patterson's been one of the best defensive line coach coaches in the NFL since like the 90s. He is a, f- a legend at it and phenomenal at it. And he does have aspirations of being a defensive coordinator. I think the job is his, his if he wants it. I don't even think you need to interview him. He is a phenomenal developer of talent. And really what the Vikings need in that, you know, a good strategy mind. I've seen some people talk about like Marvin Lewis, right? Marvin Lewis knows how to run a defense. And if Zimmer brought him back in, you know, because he's part of that crew, I actually, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked at that. My jaw wouldn't hit the floor, but I think the better plan, because I mean, you don't need Marvin Lewis to be a strategic mind. Mike Zimmer is the strategic guy and he's the one that's going to come up with all the ideas. And he's the one that always has been plenty of smart people in the room. And the Vikings do have a preference, especially under Zimmer for, you know, bringing in head coaches and people that maybe even have more experience than you do. And, and, you know, listening to them, they had North Turner in, they had Tony Sperano in, they had, uh, Gary Kubiak in, you know, a lot of former head coaches. So somebody like Marvin Lewis could come into this building and contribute. And I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they did that. But what you need out of that defensive coordinator position is somebody who is good at teaching and, and somebody who is good at, at making sure that your ideas are executed properly. And I think Andre Patterson, I don't know if there's a better person in the world for that job than Andre Patterson. And I, I think Jerry Gray would be great at it too. He's the defensive backs coach. I don't even think Adam Zimmer would be the worst of it, but I, I think he's less qualified than Gray and Patterson are uh, just because, I mean, he hasn't had quite the level of experience. Uh, Jerry Gray has been a defensive coordinator in the past. Uh, so I, I think there's some good options in the building for replacing George Edwards. However, his level of ability at doing what he did, there's no way to make it so you don't miss that. There's good replacements, but it does suck that you have to replace him. Now we'll talk about Stefanski and, of course, the game in just a little bit. But first, it's January, and there are a lot of people thinking about their fitness, and I'm sure you are as well. There's a lot of ways to go about this. You can try some gimmicky diet, you can go get a gym membership, but I'm here to talk to you about Echelon. They make beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, elite athletes, whatever your activity level. You can stay right at home and get fit with an Echelon bike. So go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L, that's L-O-N-F-L, to learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. 
I also want to talk to you about Blue Chew. That is the very first chewable tablet of its kind. Same active ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis, but it's a chewable tablet, which means it takes half as long to kick in. So when the moment's right, that's that much less waiting around. Blue Chew is made right here in the United States, and it ships directly to your door in a nice discreet package, so you don't have to go to a pharmacy, wait in line, deal with any of the awkwardness, and skipping all those steps saves you a buck too. Blue Chew isn't just for men of a certain age who can't perform the way that they used to in their prime. This is for anybody looking to better themselves for the sake of their partner. And hey, they deserve that. So if you're interested in bettering yourself, then go to bluechew.com slash locked on. That's bluechew.com slash locked on, and they will let you try it for free. Bluechew.com slash locked on. All right, so let's get to the other coaching departure, and this one's probably a bigger deal. Kevin Stefanski was hired by the Cleveland Browns to be their head coach, and so that kind of begs the question for the Vikings, what did he mean to us, and what are we losing here? Because a lot of people theorize that this was a Gary Kubiak offense, and it was a Gary Kubiak offense, right? The rollouts, the screens, this has Kubiak's fingerprints all over it, the wide zone thing, and so the Vikings aren't going to abandon that or change schemes, which is good news, because this is the best scheme for Kirk Cousins, bar none. He has had his best years in schemes like this. Last time he had a year like this, and it wasn't even as good as this. This is probably the best year of Cousins' career. He had Jay Gruden and Sean McVay, and those guys run wide zone stuff, and they will continue to. So what happens at offensive coordinator? Well, there's a few options here. For one, Jay Gruden, the aforementioned, is not working anywhere right now. I don't know what he thinks about Kirk Cousins. They didn't really uh, leave on the best of terms, so there would have to be a reconciliation there, though it's been some time, and that's not outside the cards uh, or outside the realm of possibility. There's also some more options from within, and the Vikings could hire two coordinators from within. I, I think that's something that could totally happen this year. They have Clint Kubiak, who is the quarterback's coach. He's the son of Gary Kubiak, and uh, would, you know, con- continue, he would, he would, offer continuity. And I think right now, especially with the way the Wilfs value stability and and the decisions that they've made, you're looking to make the decisions that that keep as much continuity as possible. And I know you're disappointed with how the season went, but this season went well enough, at least in my opinion, to suggest that if you try to run it back, you have an opportunity at more success next year, so long as you keep enough of the pieces in place. If you can have an offseason where you come out of 2020 better than you were in 2019, I think you have a shot at this thing, and I think that that starts with keeping continuity and keeping the same scheme in place. And and if you do co- go and get somebody from, you know, an outside influence, if you bring in Jay Gruden and Marvin Lewis and become, you know, the 2015 Bengals again, and I don't think that that's impossible, I think that those are, you know, outside hires that don't shake everything up. You know, you're not going to bring in Lincoln Riley to go be your offensive coordinator. You know, you're not going to bring somebody in from a West Coast system. There was some buzz that there would be a a Pat Shermer reunion. However, he was hired in Denver, and I think that that would have kind of shaken things up. He doesn't run this wide zone scheme. He is a a West Coast guy, and his perspective isn't particularly useful if you're going to run a bunch of plays he isn't familiar with. So I, I think the Vikings really need to be careful here, because if they do bring in somebody who is, you know, a respected mind but wants to change all this stuff, you're probably going to introduce too much and familiarity and do more harm than good. So I I could really see them, you know, approaching this with caution so much so that they just hire a bunch of people from within. And I wouldn't really disagree with that decision. 
As for Stefanski, I, I think that the one thing that Stefanski was great at, and it's something that he preaches all the time, and it's something I hope they continue to do, even though he's not in the building anymore, he was really good at setting up looks and then paying them off later. That is to say, you know, he would run a play in the first quarter, and then he would line up the exact same way and run a play that looked exactly the same for the first three steps in the third quarter, and then it would change into something else, and he got a ton of really great explosive plays, and his play sequencing was really, really good, and I think that's why he got himself hired uh, by the Cleveland Browns. There, there was a lot I could, I saw the reaction to the Browns hiring because it came, you know, less than 12 hours after putting up 10 in the playoffs against the 49ers. A lot of people were like, wait, whoa, you, you hired that offensive coordinator and not the defensive coordinator that did him to it because uh, Robert Saleh was also a, a candidate for that. And I think you would be hard-pressed, you know, remove yourself from the game you just saw, which is difficult to do, and maybe we should be talking about this a little later. But the Vikings' offense was well-called. They, they were a well-coached, well-designed unit. Now, Rick Dennison was in charge of the run game. He is going to still be there. So the run game should probably look just the same. You'll have a lot of emphasis on, on trying to generate explosive runs. You probably will see some philosophical difficulties in terms of running the ball in, you know, a, a negative situations, like running the ball on second and long and stuff. That's something that I have a problem problem with something they did a little bit too much for my tastes this year. But in the interest of continuity, that isn't going to change. It's really going to be about the, the passing game and the passing concepts, somebody who is familiar with the Kubiak system, probably somebody that's worked with Kubiak in the past, if not somebody who just is on the staff right now. I mean, shoot, make it Brian Perriani that isn't outside the cards, or Rick Dennison, who was uh, Kubiak's offensive coordinator in the times when Kubiak was a head coach. It could be Gary Kubiak himself if he's willing to take the job. Of course, you know, he didn't want a head coaching job because of his heart and because of health issues, so taking on the stress of offensive coordinator would be less but might be something that he's still, like, not comfortable doing. If he would take the job, I think he's a no-brainer, but otherwise it might be his son or somebody else on his crew like Dennison. But I think he might lose, a, 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 an analytical presence, somebody who is familiar with the way to manipulate analytics, and, you know, somebody who understands why to use a lot of play action. The Vikings were top five in play action percentage this year, and I hope that that would continue, though I think that Kevin Stefanski is a voice advocating that. You're going to lose him, and you might have a whole bunch of old guard guys like Zimmer and Gary Kubiak. I, I feel a lot less good about their usage of something that teams like the Ravens, I know they lost this weekend, but they were still at the cutting edge of this. Teams like the Eagles, who won a Super Bowl with it a couple years ago. Teams like the Patriots, who, I don't know, they've been pretty good for the last two decades using this. And and falling behind that curve is something that I am a little bit worried about with the Vikings in terms of losing Stefanski. I think Stefanski and Edwards both represent people who contributed something good to the Vikings and are now leaving, and you're losing that. It's not irreplaceable, it never is, but it's something that, you know, is is bad news. You'd never want to lose guys that were doing well for you that, you, that y your organization liked. All right, enough stalling. I'll talk about this god dang game now. So the Vikings lose 27 to 10 to the San Francisco 49ers, and they're utterly dominated in this game. And, and it's been a couple days now that you're listening to this since the game. So hopefully, you know, that's not analysis that you really need to hear. So I'm going to try to get to the root of it. I used a lot of the podcast talking about coaching, and I've got all of tomorrow to talk about it too, and really get into the details of it. And I have a little bit more information to work with then. But basically, there's a bunch of themes of this one. The one I want to start with is the trenches, right? The Vikings on both sides of the ball 
get absolutely destroyed in the trenches. And we kind of, everybody could have predicted this, right, on the offensive side of the ball. They have Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner and D Ford. And, and this front four is just an absolutely stellar group of people. And they're going to carry the 49ers all the way through their playoff run. And the Vikings just don't have the manpower. They, they just don't have the horses to keep up with that. They could have done a little bit more to mitigate that. But, and here's where I kind of stand up for Stefanski, who I don't think it's his fault the Vikings offense did so poorly. Uh, nothing worked. Their, their usual tricks, and there's a lot of tricks that you can do to mitigate offensive line play, but the 49ers were able to take all that stuff away too. So you're down to plan D, plan E, and eventually those plans stop being as good. That's why they're plan D and plan E. So, you know, you, you can call rollouts right? That tends to be a good play-action look that punishes defensive linemen for being too aggressive, and then they get conservative, and they get easier to beat, right? The 49ers took away the rollouts. The defensive end were unbelievable at backside pursuit. They took that page out of the Packers' playbook. The Packers did that to the Vikings twice this year. They were the only team to really commit that hard. 49ers realized that that worked and did it. I'm shocked somebody didn't do it before. They also similarly were all over screens, and they were very ready for both of those things. Those are the two main tricks the Vikings have to help out an ailing offensive line, and it's how they were able to move the ball against a team like the Broncos. You know, they have Derek Wolf move the ball against a team like the Chiefs. You know, they were able to, offense was okay in that game against somebody like Chris Jones was handing Pat Elfline a, a horrible, horrible game. But if you can't use those play action looks and eventually, you know, you get down three scores and play action ceases to be helpful because the team does, you know, the other team doesn't even need to care about the run. So faking it doesn't help you at all. Uh, you know, then, you know, you're really kind of behind the eight ball and that's why nobody comes back from three score deficits. It's difficult to do that when the defense knows what, you know, what game situation that you're in. So, you know, all of those tricks, all of the, the typical ways that you can kind of get out from under that rock are taken away and credit for the 49ers to doing that. I don't know what Stefanski could have called that would have made this game better. Now, there were run-pass moments that were pretty bad. There was a drive earlier in the game where uh, the Vikings take a sack. They're given a second and 18 on their own, like, five-yard line. They ran the ball to Alexander Madison. They ran the ball to Dalvin Cook, and they punted. That, to me, is an error in philosophy, and I think I'm going to wrap up the show with that, so I'll get to that a little bit more later, but that is the kind of general, from a run-pass dichotomy perspective, and I don't love uh, judging offensive play calling on that because there's so much variety within run and pass. It's not as informative as you would think, but if we were going to do that, I would disagree with a lot of the decisions that the offense made there, and maybe that's Mike Zimmer saying, no, 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 run here, but I don't think he controls it on that granular level. I think he says, hey, you know, play it safe here and stuff on a higher level like that. Or, you know, oh, we're going to go for it. You're in four down territory, you know, plan accordingly. But I don't think he uh, goes in on as granular a level. I could be wrong. I'm kind of speculating here. But I do think that that comes down to Kubiak and Stefanski and the communication between them. And I think they're to blame for those decisions. On the other side of the ball in the trenches, the Vikings just got pummeled. There was a drive that was eight run plays in a row that ended in a touchdown. And yes, that drive started on a short field because of an interception that was a really, really bad play from Adam Thielen. Uh, and that interception, I actually do blame Thielen for that and not Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk put it where the route was supposed to be. And uh, Thielen got knocked off his route so bad that Sherman was able to run it for him. That's just getting your butt kicked uh, and, and, you know, allowing an interception because of it. So I don't blame Cousins for that. I don't think Cousins had a great game. His pocket presence was terrible. You know, he was under a ton of 
pressure and you have to cut him slack for that, but his uh, pocket presence exacerbated that pressure and so you can't cut him all the slack or absolve him entirely. He's part of that equation as well. Um, but, you know, that that contributed to that short field and, you know, otherwise, you know, offensive futility. But you can't get eight run plays in a row and give up a touchdown. And I actually cut all eight of those plays up and posted it on Twitter. And if you watch that and watch Shamar Stefan on each of those plays, who is supposed to be the three-technique defensive tackle, he is supposed to be a huge part. I mean, that that guy has two jobs, typically. He, of course, had a different responsibility in this one. But typically, your three-technique has to be penetrating and get pressure and penetrating and ruin run plays. And Shamar Stefan never did any of that all year, and he might have had the worst game of his career on, on Saturday. It was just awful. He just didn't look like he belonged in the NFL getting washed out of every play by like Mike person. And I think that if you want to blame this loss on something, everybody does, right? What do we blame? What do we fix? I, I think that there is a roster construction issue that really was highlighted by the 49ers and that the Vikings don't have a, a natural rostered three technique. They never have. Jalen Holmes, defensive end in college. Hercules Mata'afa, way too small to be an actual three technique, and I think that's probably where he's best, but, I mean, he's not, like, a classic three technique. And the person starting is a nose tackle. They had two nose tackles, and they gave up a ton of pressure to do it. They had, like, no ability to generate interior pressure all year. It cheapened the edge pressure. I've talked about it a ton on this podcast, and the whole point of doing that is to not make, is, is to uh, prevent other teams from running the ball down your throat like that. And it's exactly what the 49ers were able to do. And essentially you paid a ton of, you, you paid a huge cost in quarterback pressure to not have exactly that happen to you. And it happened to you in the biggest moment. I think that's inexcusable. And I hope that the Vikings can learn that lesson and go get a dang three tech next year. The defense was out-muscled in a lot of situations. I mean, even at, at the point of a tackle, I, I thought Xavier Rhodes had an absolutely dreadful game, and that might be his last game in purple. He is in a contract situation that makes him a, a reasonable cut candidate, and the fact that he's getting he's only getting older and he's coming off this bad year, you know, and, and he also didn't have a great year in 2018 either. I, I th- He was a lot more hurt that year than he was this year, but, you know, still like a bad streak. I think that that's a decision that is pretty easy to make right now. We'll talk a lot about more of that, you know, in, in future episodes. But he was beat on the first drive. He was beat three times on the same route on a slant. And not being prepared for that is a, a really bad game planning. The, the 49ers are one of the lowest dot teams in the league, lowest average depth of target. That is to say, they like to throw it short and let guys like Debo Samuel and Raheem Mostert and they drew it up for Jarek McKinnon. But, you know, guys like that, you know, let them cook after the catch. George Kittle, you know, yards after the catch guys. And allowing them to do that by playing a bunch of soft coverage and taking away the deep shots is the exact opposite of what I would have done. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo was very good in this game. And I think if you had had forced him to throw deep a lot more, I think you would have forced him into mistakes and, and allowing him easy throws and asking your players to tackle their skill players in the open field where they are best, I think you just allowed the 49ers to be at their best. And really, on defense, there were just too many uncontested plays, too many untouched runs where, you know, you didn't get there until Anthony Harris was the first guy to touch him, and that's eight yards down the field, and he's small, and he gets bowled over for three more yards. There were too many uncontested curl routes, uh, you know, from Emmanuel Sanders or from Debo Samuel or... or uh, or born too many moments where the 49ers were able to execute the concept they were trying to execute on that play and no defender at any point made any 
effort to stop them. And and I I tried not to use the word effort there because this wasn't like a trying hard, not trying hard enough problem. But, you know, at, at no point was it anybody's job to stop them because they figured out where to go where it was nobody's just job to stop them. Or that is to say, you know, they were really good at finding a hole in zones or just beating guys one-on-one. Things like Sherman beating Thielen for a lot of the day. Things like, uh, you know, Xavier Rhodes getting smoked on slants by rookies. These are players not executing well enough, and it's really difficult to point to whose fault that is. Maybe it was coaching or preparation. Maybe it was those players' fault, like in the uh, in the case of Xavier Rhodes or Linval Joseph, who, in my opinion, his bad day is really difficult to pay attention to when Jamar Stefan is having a worse day next to him. But for Linval Joseph, it was a really bad day. And I think ultimately they just weren't good enough. And, you know, you could tell that the 49ers were coming off of rest, but I, I don't think that that's a good excuse because unless you get a first round buy and you're one of the top two teams in the in the conference that's not going to be a thing that is I mean that's going to repeat itself next time right you could be the third seed in the league and, and have won the north which is what would have happened if the Vikings had won a couple of the key games that we're all going to complain about all offseason and rightfully so um, and they they would have been the three seed and they would have been in this exact same situation except they would have had to play you know the the Saints or whatever instead you're probably not going to uh, be able to win a Super Bowl without playing somebody who is coming off a bye just to get there. And you're definitely going to have to play somebody coming off a bye in that Super Bowl. So I I think that that's a bit of a flimsy excuse. Even if it is real, it's not something you're going to be able to avoid very easily. You just got out muscled. You got out executed. I don't think the game plan was all that bad. I have my my, uh, complaints about the offensive and defensive game plan for sure, but I don't think it was inexcusably bad. I don't think it's a fireable offense or anything like that. And a lot of people are saying that because I think that happens after just about every Vikings loss. But I think ultimately it was was a matter of, of execution. They just weren't good enough at football, and the 49ers were better. So hats off to them, and we'll have to go try to get them in 2020. I'm going to talk a lot more tomorrow about this game. We'll go on a, on a more individual level, talk about some of the bigger performances. Oh, I should probably mention Pat Elfline and Garrett Bradbury had a horrible game too, and I'll talk more about that tomorrow um, and whoever else I forgot. But uh, I want to spend the rest of the show actually talking to you about offseason stuff because I know there are a lot of people who are listening just for the playoff recaps and stuff. Hope you stick around for at least tomorrow. And if you are only planning to do that or if you're not planning to stick around anymore, that's totally fine. I understand. I'll see you in August, hopefully. Uh, But if you will give me the chance to pitch my offseason to you, I got all kinds of really cool stuff coming down the pipe. So all the way up until uh, the the end of the league year, so it's going to come in early March, I'll be doing a Viking a day. That means that every day from here on out, I am going to profile one Vikings player, past or present or exciting, you know, random, legendary, somebody I want to cover, their story, what they did with the Vikings, and either remember somebody nostalgic or profile somebody new and exciting. That will be an everyday thing, and if you subscribe on Google News, that's what you're going to get on days when there is no news. I'll also have a lot of time here to talk about some post-mortem stuff. You know, we'll talk about the whole season that Kirk Cousins had, the season that the offensive line had, and their ups and downs, do a show on kind of all the position groups, and talk about free agency and the cap, and should the Vikings extend Kirk Cousins? How much would that cost? What would it look like? Would it be even possible to do? What about trades and free agents and, and possible other moves, compensatory picks? You know, we'll talk about all that stuff all the way up until free agency starts. We'll cover free agency while it's happening, and then we will transition into draft 
draft mode where uh, Viking a day will turn into prospect a day. Every podcast I will start or at some point in the, in the show talk about a draft prospect that would be interesting to the Vikings. Uh, late round prospects, early round prospects. If you were around last year, we did this for the offseason last year. It was really fun and, and a really great way to get to know a, a lot of the people that don't get a lot of coverage or people who do get a lot of coverage. It was a really great way to just familiarize yourself with a pretty big draft class, which can be a daunting task. We'll also do mock draft Mondays up until the draft. That means every Monday, uh, actually the Lockdown Network has uh, teamed up with the Draft Network, which I'm going to take a lot of uh, research from. They do great work scouting, and they're a lot better at it, th- at it than I am, so I'm going to really refer to them a lot for player evaluations. And we've teamed up. They're going to do a mock draft every Monday, and I'm going to talk about their mock draft every Monday and who the Vikings took and what I think of it. After the draft, we will transition into uh, kind of deep summer off-season mode. Some of that will be profiling the new players. Last year, I did the 90-man series. If you were around, it was a really long, really arduous series uh, profiling every single player who was going to try out for the Vikings or be in camp. All 90 players. That was awesome, and I'm really, really proud of it. There would be some redundancy if I did it again. I don't need to talk about Eric Hendricks or tell his story. If you want to learn his story, you should go listen to his episode of the 90-Man series. It's still up and online and and, uh, available for you to go look at. I actually recommend you do, because his in particular is really fun. But if there's some redundancy, you know, if it's somebody who's been on the team and doesn't really have anything new to talk about, I'm not going to try to force it. So, you know, you won't hear about Anthony Barr or Kirk Cousins or any of those guys. You can go refer to their episodes of the 90-man series from last year, but new uh, rookies, new free agents, and people like Ola B.C. Johnson, who have kind of had a, he's in a different situation than the last time I I profiled him. We'll do all of those guys. And that'll leave a little bit more extra time so we can talk about some of the more abstract stuff. Football philosophy, questions of what is momentum and does the run game matter? Or questions, you know, like what should you do at quarterback? What, you know, can, is purgatory a real thing? That's something I certainly have opinions on. That is all the kind of stuff that I can talk about in the summer when there's no new if there is news, we'll talk about it, but if there isn't, then we can talk about some more abstract stuff and, of course, do lots of fan interaction. I uh, Last year, I did a pain bracket where I had people vote on uh, which Vikings historical events hurt worse. I might try to do something similar to that. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll find out. But there is a lot of stuff to go on in the offseason, and I hope that you stick around for it. But... That's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow with a more in-depth breakdown of the 49ers. I had a lot of coaching stuff to get through, and I wanted to talk about that in this episode, uh, so I kind of will push the actual game analysis back. I'll talk to you about it tomorrow. I will see you all tomorrow with that stuff. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Shows on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast LockedOnVikings. I'll see you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull!